Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. And with that, if you have any questions that you would like to be answered about the Bible, uh, you can email your questions to info at grove.church. And we would love to do that. You can even hit us up on Facebook, whatever. Uh, just get your questions in. We love answering them. Two weeks ago, we did our – was it two weeks or one week? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we did our uh, Q&A podcast for the month of March. And uh, we love it. And we are you know, two weeks into April now, and we are just excited uh, for the last Friday of the month to have another Q&A episode coming at you. But with that, man, let's stop talking about that, and let's start talking about our Bible reading this week. All right. So we are kicking things off with First Corinthians. Last week, you'll remember, we talked a little bit about divisions in the church. Um, this week, we're getting into more of the theological side of the book of First Corinthians. Remember that Paul is writing... Um, really to correct a lot of different things that the Corinthian church is doing. And so when we keep that in mind, what he's correcting this week, I think is actually one of the most, really one of the most helpful set of chapters in the book. We're going to be talking about chapters 12 and 13 and really about the spiritual gifts. And so the empowerment of the Holy Spirit manifests itself in many different gifts. And Paul takes the time to show us that no one gift is better than the other. And in fact, we all function together much like a body through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has this to say in uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given knowledge through the Spirit, for to another the utterance of wisdom, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who, app- who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. And so I think it's really cool that Paul doesn't just talk about the way that the Holy Spirit empowers us for better Uh, for better ministry. And I think, first off, that's an incredible thing. The fact that the Holy Spirit gives uh, different people in the church, different Christians, different gifts to help empower them to spread the good news of Jesus, to help empower them to really talk about the beauty of the gospel. I think it's an incredible thing that the Holy Spirit does that. But, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, go for it. I thought you were pointing at me to talk. Oh, no. So, but one of the things that Paul says is that keep in mind that we all function much as a body. And in fact, later on, we didn't read these verses, but he's going to talk about how it would be ridiculous if the foot all of a sudden said, well, I want to be an eye, or the hand said, well, I want to be the nose now. Um, And if you have all people of one gift, or if you glorify one gift over the others, you lose out on what the rest of the body is for. Yeah. And and I think it's it's interesting. I was actually just having a conversation about this this last week with, with somebody. And People can seek after the gifts for the gifts' sake. The gifts of the spirit are not to not to you know make us feel more superior or better. 
They're to bring glory to God. And they're here so that it can build the body of Christ. And and when we look at people and, and you know, some people we say spiritual gifts and, and you know, they, well, they have the gift of prophecy or they have the gift of healing. And, and like, these are like the big marquee, like, oh, I want those gifts. It's not right. bad to desire the gifts, but when it becomes about the gifts and not glorifying who God is and what he's doing through those gifts, that's where we run into danger. No, I think that's that's a great reminder. The, the works of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, never supposed to be about us. Yeah. They're never supposed suppo- supposed to be about us getting more popular. They're supposed to be about um, really sharing the gospel. They're supposed to be about showing people the love of Jesus. And in fact, um, that segues perfectly into the next chapter of verses that we're reading. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the love chapter, um, and really it goes into a bunch of what does love look like, but the way he opens, I think, is so important for us to remember. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And so we can have all of these gifts. We can be as talented as we want to be. We can be using things. We can be getting appreciation and attention. We can even be using things in a Christian context. But Paul reminds us, and I think it's so important for us to keep in mind, that if we don't have love, if we don't show love to others, then it, it just doesn't matter. And in fact, it says it's like banging on a cymbal. Yeah. It's man, it's so true. I mean, you can give a like I, I say it this way, you can give like a word of knowledge to somebody, but if you don't have a relationship with them or if you don't do it out of a, a loving stance, it just really sounds like judgment. Right. <laughs> you know, like you can be like, you know, you shouldn't go, you know, here and it's like you feel like the Holy Spirit led you to this, but if you're not doing it out of love, it almost is like you're just trying to be controlling and you're trying to just, you know, make me do what you want to do. But with that, we are going to transition into the book of Numbers. And um, this is actually exciting for me. I went in, um, in into this podcast um, actually a couple hours before I read this or before we recorded this. I actually changed because I just totally forgot about this passage in uh, the book of Numbers. We were going to do Balaam's donkey, which is in chapter 22. But we're actually going to do Moses striking the rock in uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'm sorry, Exodus. We're in Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. (laughs) Uh, And I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read, I think it's about 14 verses. So bear with me, but it'll all make sense in the end. It says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. in the first month of the year, the Num- whole- numbers chapter twenty first. Did I say one. Exodus again? <laughs> you got Exodus on the mind. You know, dude, I just see Moses and I think Exodus. That's fair. And pause real quick. We talked last week about the Israelites complaining. Guess what? Happens again. <laughs> uh, Israel is frustrated that Moses led them out of slavery into freedom. And how dare God how accomplish dare that? And they're pretty ticked that um, you know God has come through every time. But now they're a little thirsty, and so they are ticked about it. And it says this, In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. R.I.P. Miriam, that was Aaron and Moses' sister. So she's gone. And now it's just Moses and Aaron. Um, 
whatever. Verse 2, there was no water for the people to drink at the place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought back the congregation of the Lord's people in this wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us to this terrible place? This land has no grain. This land has no food. Our pets' heads are falling off. There's no grapes. There's no pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. These Israelites really know how to complain. Verse 8, or excuse me, verse 6. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and they went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell down on the on the ground the then the glorious presence of the lord appeared to them and the lord and the lord said to moses you and aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock so moses did as he was told he took the staff from the place where it was kept before the lord then he and aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And he said, listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Now, Moses just disobeyed God. Right. He didn't listen to what God was telling him to do because God wanted him to speak to the rock, not hit it. So Moses hit it out of not, I don't even know if it's anger, but probably out of annoyance. You know what I mean? Anger, like, annoyance. I, I, think, I think they go hand in hand. I think there's almost a little bit of uh, showboating in there too. Yeah. And he's just like, check this out. Bang, bang, hits it. Water comes out. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land which I am giving them. This place known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing because the people of Israel argued with the Lord and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Um, I had the opportunity to actually hike through the wilderness of Zen when I was in Israel. Oh, really? And yeah, it was actually my favorite. It's one of like the only things I just vividly, truly remember every bit about it from our trip. And what I loved, um, we actually read this story in the historical place that it happened. So it's not necessarily the the actual place it happened, um, but it's the historical, what they call pre-Constantine. Um, and okay. I'm not going to get into that, but basically when Rome comes through, um, they don't just leave things the same. They level cities and then, um, yeah, basically they establish a new culture. So if anything before um, that was considered the historical. There's a greater degree of accuracy versus, uh, you know, post, you know, Rome coming in and doing this. Things change, you know, places get shifted around. So if it's pre-Constantine, it basically means this is pretty much our best guess of where it should be because of the historical nature, because it wasn't destroyed yet when this was established. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, it's interesting to note that the Israelites were still complaining of being led out of Israel. They literally, four chapters before, and we don't really know the timeline, they just watched God swallow up Korah and his rebellion, then basically put a plague, and they actually reference it. They said, wish we would have just died in the presence of the Lord. Just like, oh man, why couldn't the earth have just swallowed us up too? Why can't we just be slaves in Egypt? This sucks. I know. And yet again... They're stuck in a complaining mindset, and they don't trust God enough to give them water, even though he had come through for them every single time, every single time. And I remember growing up reading this story, and and I was like, wow, this is an amazing story. Moses struck a rock, and water gushed out of it. And it was because 
here's the deal. I didn't really understand not only topographically of the area, um, but I didn't really understand everything that was going in the story. Um, in this time, when in Moses's time, um, any seasoned shepherd um, knew how to find water in the wilderness. Um, they just knew. They could literally look. Um, you know, real before I get there, Israel isn't full of granite. Um, like like in Seattle, like a lot of our a lot of our rocks are granite. But really, um, this, this a, it's a type of porous stone that that many people, if they were seasoned shepherds, they could actually look at it and find a water vein within the side of a mountain. And so, for Moses to strike the rock, it takes away the miracle. Sure. It, it takes away the miracle that God wanted to produce because any shepherd could hit the side of the rock and water would gush out of it. But Moses disobeyed God and God wanted to do a miracle. He it said he wanted to demonstrate his holiness to the people by having Moses not strike the rock, but to speak to it. Because getting water from a rock wasn't the miracle. It was the way that they were going to get the water from the rock, which was going to be the miracle. And, you know, in our 21st you know, century postmodern mindset, we read this as still being a, you know, a miracle, water from a rock, and it's amazing. But then we actually see that God was frustrated with Moses and how he went about doing this. And we realize that God wanted to perform a miracle in the most mundane task, but Moses did what he did best, and he got frustrated, and he took matters into his own hands. And so I guess, so what? What do we take from this? We do this all the time. We need to learn patience and trust in every aspect of our life. And I want to challenge us this week that anytime that we need, uh, you know, we feel like we need to take matters into our own hands, trust God and see how he'll come through for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think couldn't add anything to that. So let's move on to uh, Psalm 84. Uh, This is the last thing that we're going to be talking about this week. I lied. We're talking about Mark. Jesus calms the it's sea. It's okay. You can cut my last part out <laughs> if, if you really want to. If I really want to. Uh, we're, in, rude, but. We're, we're in Psalm chapter 84. Um, and really, I, I just want to quickly talk about it a little bit. It's by the sons of Korah, no relation to uh, the Korah we've been talking about the last few weeks. But the song, this psalm celebrates the joy of worshiping at the temple. And so remember at this time that God's presence, it dwells in the temple. Like today as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. We know that God's presence is with us. Um, at this particular time, if you want to experience God's presence, you're going to go to the temple. And the psalmist is describing how beautiful it is to be able to worship God. And in fact, um, I'm going to read a couple of verses. You might recognize some of them. Uh, from popular Christian songs because they're great. There is one day in your court. Oh, it's a good one. one Uh, But in in Psalm 84, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be the doorkeeper, doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I just love how, you know, some of the Psalms can get really down with uh, what they're experiencing, but I love these songs. They're just talking about how wonderful God is. And I think it's something to to put yourself into the mind of a first century Jew, or actually really before that, uh, of a, a before Christ Jew who's going to worship in the temple and is just singing about how great it is that the temple exists, how awesome it is to be able to go to the temple. Like they say, it is one day 
in the temple one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand days anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, I've had the moments where, you know, you can go out and you do your own thing and you can, you know, get through life. And then there's like moments where you like encounter the presence of God. Right. And you're like, wow, like that is so much better than the Netflix series I just binged in one day. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And I don't mean to like, you know, trivialize it, but it's just, it's so true that the presence of God changes things. And it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. When you have those experiences of just being able to, to be in God's presence, to really just be moved by the beauty and the, the power of God. It, yeah. It's yeah. Like you said, it's so much better than anything else. Yeah. With that, um, you guys aren't going to be able to see it, but I'm actually showing Evan uh, a picture of the wilderness of Zen right now. Oh, it's pretty beautiful. No granite. No granite. Just like you said. Just like I said, I wasn't lying. But uh, we're closing this podcast out today, and we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. And this is one of the moments that the disciples realize, oh my goodness, this guy isn't just – because remember, we've been talking about how even the disciples thought that um, – Jesus was going to raise up and be a political figure um, that to free them from political oppression. But we've said it in the past that he wasn't here to free them from political oppression, but from spiritual oppression. And this is one of the marquee moments that the disciples sit back and they're like, oh. Oh, snap. We get it. And we're in Mark. And um, like we said last week, this is the action gospel. There's a lot of miracles. And this is one miracle where Jesus demonstrates his power over nature. It says this, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through uh, 41. So it's only six verses, um, but it's it's important for us to read this. As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. That's important. You should underline that if you're reading your Bible. But as soon, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping. Come on. That's, you know, be like Jesus. Jesus took naps. Be like him. Absolutely. Sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Pause real quick. We even see in this reaction, they don't call him Lord. They call him teacher because they thought he was going to be a teacher. You know, I never, I never caught that before. That's a great pickup there. Yeah. They they say, teacher, (laughs) teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Like, they didn't ask him. They didn't come to him in, in you know, honor of, like, saying, hey, like, you perform miracles. Like, help us out here. Like, we see we see this. And, and I guess before we continue, I want to pause and ask you, in the midst of crisis, how do you come to Jesus? Do you come to him frustrated and angry or do you come to him in trust? And I think that's a real question. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. And they asked, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey them. And there's a couple interesting parallels, even just reading through it in the moment right now, um, of the story of the water and the rock. Like first off, God tells Moses to simply call it to the rock and something supernatural is going to happen. Uh, Jesus simply calls out to the sea and something supernatural happens. And then I think the biggest parallel is really the disciples have seen Jesus perform miracles. Yep. Now, uh, up to this point in Mark, we don't get the necessary like, you know, the Red Sea parting style miracles where you're just in awe. But there's certainly supernatural things. We have the man with the withered hand, for instance, it happens before this. Um, the disciples are starting to realize that God's blessing is with Jesus. Miracles are happening through Jesus. And yet, 
uh, they've seen these incredible things. And what's their reaction? It's the same reaction as the people of Israel. It's the same reaction that too often we have today. It's a lack of faith. Yeah. It's not trusting God. Uh, they don't come to him and say, Lord, please calm the storm. We're scared. They come to him and say, you, you don't even care yeah, that on. we're dying. You're sleeping. Yeah. It's, They're just jealous that he was able to sleep through it. That's that, right? maybe that's true. A I little don't know. Bit. But I, I love the 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 picture of there was other boats in the lake as well, and I think it's it's interesting. And this is just you know the pastor in me that this is one of the easiest is like literally like one of the probably top five easiest passages to preach on because there's just so much apparent truth in the scripture. Sure. That if you're not looking for it, you might miss, and then you sound like super spiritual and like smart. But the fact that there were other boats in the storm, I think it's a great parallel to remind ourselves that um, community is important because there are people that are going through very similar things to you. And that's why as a church, we believe so much in small groups and life groups is because, you know, you can come to a church and you can, you know, sit in the rows, but if nobody knows what's going on in your life, how can you be supported in it? And I guess that's a, a shameless plug for get involved in a small group because there are people in your life that are going through things or have gone through things that you're going through as well. And it's just so great to not only get other people's perspective, but to also just have that encouraging uh, you know, group of people that can encourage you in the midst of life's most fiercest storms. Yeah, and I can't think of uh, a better way to wrap things up for this week. So just a reminder, uh, we are – a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out all of our other resources and podcasts, you can visit our website at grove.church. Um, and again, we say this every week, but if you've been enjoying this podcast, do us a favor, leave a review. It helps us get more out there into whatever um, system you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, however you're listening. It helps us uh, to really get out there to more people and it helps create a, a larger community of people who are wanting to read the Bible together. Uh, With that being said, we will see you all next week.